Hi, I'm Jim Brett, President and CEO of the New England Council. Thank you for tuning in this month's edition of Inside the Corner Office. Council launched Inside the Corner Office is a monthly virtual event series back in the fall of 2021. We've been fortunate to welcome an incredible lineup of guests over the past year and a half. Now, in 2023, we're excited to relaunch the program as a monthly YouTube series and podcast. But regardless of the format, the goal remains the same, to give our members the opportunity to get to know some of our region's chief executives and to learn more about some of the incredible businesses and organizations that are driving growth and innovation in our region. This month, we're thrilled to welcome Chris Palmieri, the CEO of Commonwealth Care Alliance, headquarters in Boston. Commonwealth Care Alliance is an integrated healthcare system that serves individuals with significant needs. And as I learned from my conversation with Chris, the organization has a unique and innovative approach to serving their members. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for joining us today and needless to say we're thrilled to have you as our first guest in our new podcast and youtube series format for inside the connor office yeah thanks jim it's great to be here with the new england council so i appreciate being uh, a guest and certainly your first guest of 23. well we'd like to start these conversations getting to know our guest a little better and learning more about how you go to where you are today so You've been in your current role for, I think, over seven years now, but you have a very long and a very successful career in the healthcare industry. Tell us a little more about your career path and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I have been blessed to have almost a 30-year career now in, in healthcare. Um, it's ironic. I, I come from a family um, of uh, I have three other siblings. Uh, all of which uh, in some way were in healthcare. I have my 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 oldest brother is a He's a healthcare CEO in New Hampshire and running a, a long-term care retirement community. Uh, my middle brother um, worked in uh, dietary services and healthcare for over 25 years. My sister was trained as a nursing home administrator and now runs a large veterinary medicine practice in upstate New York. My mom was a nurse. My late uncle owned uh, adult care facilities. And when I sought out to um, be educated as a young, a young man, I was destined not to go into healthcare. I wanted to be an attorney and I thought I was going to be a litigator. And, uh, you know, I, when I grew up, uh, we, we, we were a fairly poor family. Uh, uh, I remember my mom had to rent out rooms in our house to be able to put some food on the table. And I was concerned halfway through my education that I wasn't going to be able to either get into law school or afford it and called my older brother, 17 years older than me and uh, said, Hey, Michael, um, I'm, I'm having second thoughts about my career path. And as a, as a great older brother, he, he uh, convened a meeting with me, <laughs> you know, when we used to get together around the coffee table and, uh, and talk and said, hey, have you thought about healthcare? And it's a big industry and there's a lot of ways to help people. And, um, and that really inspired me. And from there, I, I, changed, I changed majors, I changed colleges and launched my career in healthcare. I didn't, at the time, wanted to go into long-term care. I was really intrigued by the financing mechanisms of, of managed care and physician practices and was fortunate enough to get a job right out of college uh, in physician practice management um, as, a, as an analyst. And, and it just, it, it, I had good fortune from there. Uh, uh, shortly after I was able to build a small managed care company in upstate New York where I was born, 
to serve individuals that had um, uh, chronic illness that wanted to live at home and not in a nursing home. I then got into uh, restructuring healthcare companies after 9-11. I was fortunate to be uh, selected for a role to turn around a, a struggling health insurance company that was also serving seniors. Uh, tried uh, uh, my hand at a publicly traded managed care company um, and worked for Amerigroup Corporation, which, which today is, is Elevance, but um, uh, um, was at the time the largest publicly traded Medicaid managed care company and helped them get into long-term care. Uh, spent 10 years at the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, which is the nation's oldest nonprofit home health care company in the United States. Their founder actually invented home care. And I, I led their insurance offerings uh, for 10 years and, and grew them from uh, nearly zero in revenue to two and a half billion when I had left. And, um, and then tried bundled payments and worked for a private equity backed company, company called Remedy Partners. And then seven and a half years ago, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to come in and lead a turnaround at Commonwealth Carolines, and uh, which, which I always thought and knew about since, since uh, the early 2000s, but I always thought they had the best way to approach their consumers and were serving uh, very, very uh, challenging healthcare cases, um, uh, primarily in inner city Boston, and just had this incredible reputation dating back to our founder, Dr. Bob Master, and was honored really to be a part of it when I was asked to come and 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 lead our transformation. So I, I have been blessed in my career. So really, it was your brother Michael that uh, said you don't want to major in political science. You don't want to major in English. Uh, maybe uh, you know healthcare administration is the is the way to go. So we owe a lot to Michael. I I owe it all to Michael. And uh, you know Michael said long term care is where it's at. And I said you're you know not for me. And here I am you know sort sort of working in an industry that that has woven both the principles of of healthcare insurance with with long term care services and supports. And I do owe a tremendous amount to him. Although I would I hope he doesn't watch this because I would never tell him that. It'll make his It'll make his ego too large. Probably have to reimburse him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little more about the, the incredible organization that you do lead and some of the issues you're working on. First, for those who may not be familiar with Commonwealth Care Alliance, can you give us just a, uh, an overview of the organization and your, your unique approach to serving your members? Yeah, so as you as you sort of introduced us, we are a Boston-based organization. We we can consider ourselves an integrated care system, and um, we both operate but also influence national models of healthcare for vulnerable populations. Um, uh, we we advocate for policy and we practice it with our consumers. And today uh, we serve uh, over a hundred thousand people in four states. Uh, Massachusetts continues to be our primary state of operation and goes back to 76, but we also serve individuals uh, in Michigan, which is our second largest market, and then California um, and Rhode Island. And, uh, and we do that as an insurance company, but we also are a, a deliverer of healthcare services. We have several ways that we deliver care in, here in Massachusetts, both primary care as well as mental health services. Uh, we help people as they're nearing uh, their, their end of life through palliative care and, and, and opportunities to, um, to die peacefully at home. Um, and uh, we've developed programs that uh, move sites of care to the right location. So we have a company called Instead, for example, that provides emergency department le level health care in somebody's living room 
uh, using paramedics. And it's just, it's remarkable. Um, and as you said, we have uh, what we call our uncommon care model, which has been identified as one of the best models of care in the country for complicated and vulnerable populations. Um, it's fully integrated, uh, meaning it pulls in all facets of, of life, not just healthcare, but things that address social determinants of health. It has the consumer in the center. Imagine that, that the consumer is actually the one that's dictating what their life looks like. Um, uh, it, it improves and focused on quality improvement, access, health outcomes, um, and, and really trying to, to make the best experience possible, um, all while, while reducing cost of, of care. And uh, it's community focused. Um, we emphasize uh, behavioral and social factors that need to be addressed. And, and these, as you know, account for so many of the, of the gaps in care that Americans um, experience. Um, every one of our members, um, all over 100,000, has a care plan um, that is individualized. So it's for them, not for um, the, ma the masses, but literally each individual. And it meets their own needs um, and, um, and helps them align the, the resources that can be available to them with the goals that they want to achieve. Um, and just to give you an example, uh, in 2022, over 60% of our members had received uh, services from, from us or arranged by us that address a social need. And uh, so it's not just medically focused. In fact, it's really more socially focused. Um, and we, we leverage the healthcare delivery system. So we have contracts with, with tens of thousands of providers in each of our markets, and we help coordinate the care that, that already exists um, uh, on a commercial basis to meet the needs of, of these consumers. You know, I, I think I read when you came on board seven and a half years ago, you had 20,000 patients and you had a payroll of about 800 employees. And today you, you uh, are in four states and you have 100,000 members and you have about 1,600 uh, members. We, we do. And that, you know, I, those are numbers that I, I um, so it's, it's, it's uh, when I came, we had about 15,000 insured members. Right. And, uh, and today, you know, th this year we will touch 120,000 people and, and our workforce has grown. We've become an employer that, that um, is sought after by job seekers, even in the complex job market we have today. Um, our revenues are uh, over 2.6 billion, um, which, is, which is essentially four times larger than when I came uh, seven years ago. Um, but you know, again, what I'm most proud of is, is how many consumers we're able to impact in a variety of delivery and payment models that exist today. And um, so, you know, I think about, I have a brother that has um, a physical disability and some suffers from some mental illness and his name is Augie. And every time I think about a consumer that we're serving, I think of him. And now that we can do it for over a hundred thousand people, um, that really inspires me every day. And I think we can do it for so many more. And frankly, impact organizations that also serve this type of consumer and set the bar really high so that they can impact hundreds of thousands of people. You have 120,000 members and you're in four states. What's the future look like? Well, you know, we continue to um, evolve our operations so that we can serve as many states as possible and seamlessly serve all of these consumers. 
Um, I, I am on a long journey here. This is a marathon for me. This is, I don't see this as the next stop in my career. This is probably the last stop in my career if I'm, if I'm so lucky to lead this organization. Um, I see us in many more states covering many more consumers and continuing to have the influence on local uh, state and national policy for vulnerable Americans, whether that's a senior living with chronic illness and hopefully managing their situation in the community, uh, an individual that's suffering from mental illness and desperately needing access to care and to try to um, uh, get a game plan that will help them lead uh, a really uh, fruitful life, or someone that has uh, physical disabilities um, and helping them, um, again, uh, achieve all of their life goals and, um, and, 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 and lead the same life that I'm able to lead as a fully ambulatory individual. Um, and, um, and whatever that disability may, may, may mean. I think more and more people want to live at home as long as possible. And more and more folks now want to make sure that they're achieving the goals. I mean, I think the pandemic sort of shook us all up and said, wow, you know, life could look very different uh, for a whole host of circumstances and some outside of our control. So I think we have a more discerning consumer that wants to be considered a consumer and not a patient or not something that's a cog in the healthcare wheel. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity to be in that conversation, either as the entity that's going to serve those customers or as an entity that's going to influence other, our competitors that will serve their customers, these customers. So I'm excited. And um, the, I think, I think the, the future is really bright for for our organization and for, for my opportunity to continue to impact change in this really complicated industry. You know, there's so many companies in the medical industry field having problems attracting uh, good talent and you have 1600 some employees. Are you having that problem? Well, um, we have been very fortunate. Uh, last year alone, we hired 800 people, right? So if you say, wow, 800 people and you have 1600 or I think it's probably closer to 2000 employees. That's like a whole new workforce. And we've had some turnover. And I think everyone has because people have made different decisions around how they want to do their work, whether it's remote or people want to work less hours or have just sort of reevaluated. We have been very fortunate to attract an applicant pool that wants to work for this organization. Uh, they are um, energized by our mission and the way that we do our work. Um, they're energized by the fact that we are a growing organization. It's exciting to work here. Every day is different. Um, they want to come and work with other gifted and talented people that are mission aligned, but also very intellectually motivated. Um, we have been focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in our workforce. Um, we have been focused on being a best place to work in the very competitive Boston environment. So we have been fortunate, and, and I, I believe that as we look forward and potentially even, unfortunately, go into an economic downturn, people are going to look more and more at an organization like ours that has had seven years of financial stability, seven years of profitability. We've had growth. We've been innovative. Um, we've been transparent and true to our workforce and our messaging. And I, and I think it really aligns well with a future job seeker's values. You know, you've already touched on it, but maybe you can give one or two quick examples, but of, of the unique services that your organization provides, why they're, they're so important to the, uh, the communities that you serve. Yeah, I think, and there's a variety of them. And when you think about it, a health insurance organization, people traditionally think of, well, am I getting access to, to physicians and primary care doctors, or if 
we're, we're serving individuals with uh, mental illness and behavioral health um, challenges? Um, are they able to see psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers? The answer is yes to all of that, first of all. But there are other things that we, we are able to serve uh, consumers to, to, to address their social determinants of health. Or in other words, things that get in the way of people accessing good health care and having a healthy life. So last year alone, we provided nearly uh, 1 million one-way paid-for rides to a doctor's office or to a social event. We had um, 7,000 consumers that needed their home modified in some way to make it more adaptable for them. A grab bar in the bathroom, an air conditioner, um, we went in and, and cleaned up trip and fall hazards, whether it's taking carpeting and taping it down or rerouting extension cords or um, doing pest eradication or making sure there's a working refrigerator. We did that 7,000 times last year, um, 7,000 members, they received 7,000 people received 77,000 unique modifications to their home. We had um, delivered last year 560,000 meals to consumers. So people that, that needed to have food as part of their care plan, we all do, and they couldn't, they couldn't prepare the meal, they couldn't do what they needed to do, uh, we, we provided that. And those are just a few examples of things we do when we think about a whole person, not just their medical diagnosis and what they need to, to live safely in their home or in the community. Well, that's great. That really is an innovative way of approaching it. That transportation, that, that is extraordinary because so many of them, that's a barrier. How do I get to the doctor? How do I get to the, uh, to the hospital? That is a major issue. And you've, you've touched on that. So congratulations. I understand that uh, Commonwealth Care Alliance has a, uh, a big anniversary coming up and is in the midst of a multi-year uh, growth plan. Tell us a little more about your company's uh, current footprints and how you hope to expand in the future. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, this March, we're going to celebrate 20 years since we were incorporated in Massachusetts. And that's really uh, exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and that's incorporated as a health plan. Our roots go much further back as a primary care uh, practice. Um, uh, we started as a free clinic uh, for people uh, with significant disabilities in the basement of Boston Medical Center. And, um, uh, you know, as, as I've said, we have grown. Uh, our revenues are nearly uh, 2.6 billion this year. We're going to employ over 2,000 people of which 55% um, are clinical. Um, and we have um, many more markets that we are evaluating and identifying for expansion. For us, a market's a state. And um, whether that's through acquisition or partnership, joint venture, um, we are very, very excited. As I said, my goal is to serve as many as many individuals as possible, and and um, you know to serve two, three, four, five hundred thousand people with really complex chronic illness, physical disability, uh, behavioral health challenges. Um, that is in our sights, and our growth has been very deliberate um, and opportunistic. And we have we have looked at and chose markets that. Um, uh, we believe can have a similar delivery system to what wonderful Massachusetts has, where there's good integration between state and federal healthcare dollars through a program that can coordinate that care. Um, and, and we continue to 
um, again, evaluate. And, you know, I hope at the end of this year, we'll, we'll have another announcement to share um, with the marketplace. But, you know, in the meantime, I've got over 50,000 consumers right here in Massachusetts. It's been our home state, a state that's been great to us. And uh, we, we continue to be focused on and do the, do the great work that Massachusetts um, asks us to do and um, continue to mature the relationships and the operations we have in Michigan, California, and Rhode Island. You know, one of the most uh, urgent public health crises is substance abuse disorder. And here in Boston, uh, we've seen an increase in homelessness uh, related to substance abuse, particularly in the area known as Mass and Cast. And I understand that uh, CCA has partnered with the state and in the city of Boston to provide some temporary uh, housing on the campus of the old Shattuck Hospital. What other initiatives or partnerships is uh, CCA pursuing to address the housing challenges? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, um, our model that I've described, our unique uncommon care model is designed to serve folks that have historically been disengaged or have had trouble accessing um, healthcare, but also challenges with housing and all of these other things that we're talking about. We did develop a, a particular expertise over time in dealing with um, and serving people with uh, mental health and substance abuse uh, disorders. And, you know, we all watched and we've watched for years the situation uh, with Mass and Cass. And we were, um, we were asked and honored to be a part of the initiative that is happening now uh, on the Shattuck uh, campus. And um, uh, our, our program, which we operate there, um, and hats off to um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the city of Boston for taking those bold steps, frankly, just to get those folks help. You know, um, I, I know we've talked about Again, the stigma, and it, it was a cleanup and we didn't want this on the streets, but the this is people that, that, that have significant needs that need to be addressed and have been unmet, unmet. Housing has been the barrier, but housing is not the, not the only challenge here. So uh, on Shattuck, there, are, um, there is transitional housing so that folks can feel like they're in a stable environment. So they, they then can get the, the necessary um, mental health services that they may need, primary care services, and take steps towards um, addressing the challenges they may have with substance abuse uh, and addiction. And um, at this point, um, we've had 80 people that have been through uh, the program, and 55 of which are in permanent housing, which is remarkable, because again, that is the first step that someone needs on their, on their pathway to hopefully um, recovery and to getting their unmet healthcare needs, medical needs and, and psychosocial needs met. And this is, this is one example, it's a marquee example because we've done it here in Massachusetts, it's been all over the news. Um, and it's something that we believe uh, we can take to other marketplaces. This problem, unfortunately, is not unique to Massachusetts. So we've continued to gain this expertise of getting folks engaged in the housing and then, and then understanding how they will participate in other efforts to, um, to improve their lives. And it's just been a, it's been a great opportunity for us to be able to do that. Is there opportunity to expand that uh, housing uh, at Shattuck itself? You know, I think there is. We, um, we, we have provided some guidance um, uh, to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts around what that scale should look like, whether it needs to be temporary uh, cottages like we have at Shattuck, or if there's other pre-existing 
housing. I think the the, the the most important ingredient is not where they're housed, it's that they're housed. And that is a first step to helping an individual feel safe and be able to think about and start to address other things that when you're homeless, you know, you're you're really only thinking about am I gonna am I gonna make it through the night? Am I gonna be able to be warm or safe and secure? And 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 just understanding that that basic human need is so critical to then taking the next step. That's that's the powerful learning there. And whether again, it's instead of having 24 uh, uh, dwellings, if it's 50 or something else, I, I don't think that's the lesson learned. It's it's the housing itself. Um, and I think we have a lot of opportunities. There are some some housing spaces, but we've also learned through that initiative with the the help of the of the dwellings that are provided by a company called Pallet, that there is a very defined cost of how much it is to stand up one of those and what what that utility will be for somebody in need. When you were putting that plan together, the uh, temporary housing at Shattuck, did you have in your mind how long you think that individual homeless person would be housed there? You know, it's a good question. And um, I relied on, we have, we have incredible um, expertise and depth in our organization of folks that that, that serve uh, individuals that have uh, behavioral health uh, and mental illness. Um, and, um, you know, we had, we had an, an estimation that it could be 30 to 60 days. Um, I think we're probably pretty close to that. And again, if you look at how people have moved through the program, um, what's really exciting, you know, frankly, is that out of 80 folks that have gone through 55 no, uh, are in permanent housing. And of the of the of those that are not yet in permanent housing, they may they may cycle back through. They may have left us and um, maybe regress, but we we hope they'll come back. And uh, we've we've provided a pathway uh, for folks. And whether it's on the Shattuck campus or in one of the other the other operations, I think there's a there's a much better understanding. Um, but it, it's it's sort of hard to predict what the exact time is. Is someone going to be there for a week? Part of it is is really if someone's engaged and willing. It's also about what's the available housing stock that exists for somebody to go into. That's a huge dependency. Of course. You know, outside of my work at the New England Council, an issue that you may be aware of, I'm very passionate about is supporting people with disabilities, who I know constitute a very large percentage of your members. There's still a lot of barriers, and we talked about them earlier, that prevent or discourage people with disabilities from receiving routine medical care. What are some of those barriers that you see and how is CCA working to help your members with disabilities overcome them? Well, I mean, first, I mean, you're, what we're talking about here is health equity. And um, uh, as part of our efforts, um, we believe, we believe, and we believe that healthcare organizations have to commit themselves to inclusion and competency in caring for people that have physical disability um, and mental illness. Um, you know, and again, as we talked a little bit about off, off camera, you know, I, I had really the, the fortune of having an individual in my family that has a physical disability. As, as I grew up and he's 15 years older than me and we were sort of the only two in our household at the time, you know, I, I just, I, he was just my brother. He wasn't an individual that had anything going on with him. And, and you know, and, and, um, and I, I, I just, I see the world through that lens. And these are, these are people that have that have just a different challenge. We all have some challenge in our lives, and this is some sometimes there's a limitation physically that's there. That's 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 my brother's challenge and, and others. And I feel that we have to be inclusive. These 
my brother needs to be able to engage in society just like anybody else and not be labeled as, as someone different, but is really someone the same. And, um, you know, for us, as we scale this out, um, uh, we use a variety of tools, um, communication devices, interpreters, things that can reduce uh, delays in diagnosis and treatment, you know, for people that have challenges with vision, hearing, speech impairments, um, appropriate equipment to meet their situation. If it's a physical uh, impairment, wheel, wheelchair, the right wheelchairs, first of all, that's critical, okay, or whatever that is, but to get folks the right treatment in another commercial setting. So if you need, if you need to have a scale that can accommodate somebody with a wheelchair, that should be standard practice or a lift to help somebody out of an assistive device, any type of diagnostic equipment that can adjust. Um, uh, and this, all of this will reduce someone's, first of all, make them more comfortable. Again, these are consumers too. reduce their anxiety and build trust between the consumer that we desperately want to access good healthcare and the system itself. And this is a, if this is a bad experience, they're just, they're not going to get the care they need. And, um, and then as we talked about, the transportation that we offer um, includes transportation for somebody that may, may be in a wheelchair. Um, and you have to create a safe pathway for someone to, to access medical care. For us, it, it, sometimes it's in the home, so we bring the care to them. But oftentimes it's, it's in a retail setting, the way healthcare was before the pandemic, really, and it's, we're getting back to that. And that's, you know, that's a, a reason, from my perspective, that's a reason to get out of the house. To get to get dressed and have a purpose and you know an appointment for the day and we want that absolutely um, to happen and I think you know um, a big piece of inequity is is um, is is the is the misinformation misunderstanding and how, one way to address it is to understand exactly where these um, exist you know so one of the things we did several years ago that I I stood up with some colleagues of mine is a, is a nonprofit organization called the Center to Advance Consumer Partnership. CCA started this. This, is, this whole outfit is dedicated to transforming care for people with complex health and social needs. And it creates an authentic partnership between healthcare delivery and the consumer. And this is about us educating and helping other healthcare delivery systems figure this out. And um, it's not necessarily to our benefit. We've helped organizations where we don't have um, a, a, a commercial business offering. Um, we've partnered with AARP and their public policy institute. And again, this is really about in America creating scalable opportunities uh, for policy and on the ground programmatic interventions um, that's going <laughs> to improve equity across a very diverse set of older adults. Um, you know, the, the Black, Latino, Hispanic, AAPI, LGBTQ uh, communities, it, this, this, is, this has to happen. And the fact that we have a, a role in this, a small role, but a role in this nonetheless, is, is really, really um, critical. And then, you know, lastly, at the national level, we use our voice to support the needs of our members, which again, our members are re representative of a much broader consumer set that, that exists in America that, that may not be our customers. And, um, and we feel that's a critical voice because now that we have over 100,000 consumers, we're able to do this at a scale in multiple geographies with multiple uh, product offerings that will help inform those that set policy for the country 
And, uh, and we're really proud to have, a, again, a very small role in that. You know, well, the worst of it is hopefully behind us, COVID-19 pandemic. This, of course, still one of the biggest healthcare uh, challenges facing our region and uh, our nation. I know your organization had some unique initiatives to support the, uh, the communities you serve um, amid the uh, pandemic. Can you just tell us a little more about those efforts? Yeah, I mean, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I said my career took me to New York City um, uh, early on, and that that journey was right after 9-11. And I was part of an organization that was helping with the remediation and the cleanup of 9-11. And it was unfortunately an organization, we employed a lot of nurses, and at the, at the time, most of which were fe female, and their spouses were firefighters, and many of them died in 9-11. And um, to sort of watch the anguish of that tragedy as well as be part of the disaster remediation. And then, you know, um, just over a decade later, be part of another organization that uh, was cleaning up uh, an area in Queens after Hurricane Sandy. And I was, I was part of incident command for a 20,000 employee organization. When COVID happened, I said, you know, I have some expertise to give here and how can I help our Commonwealth? And um, and there were a variety of things that we were called on to do. So first of which, if you recall, in the early days of COVID, the hospitals were completely clogged. And we weren't sure if COVID, one of the interventions of COVID was to put people on ventilators and the emergency departments were clogged. And we had a lot of people in the healthcare system that had COVID, but they didn't need acute care, but they didn't know that either. So we essentially um, stood up a thousand community beds in hotels to treat individuals that had COVID that, that were marginally housed. So meaning that they probably a good place for them to go would have been an acute hospital care bed, but they didn't need a ventilator and they need that, that level of care. We were able to, to run an operation that treated them in the community, in these hotels, and it created bed capacity in the hospitals. We did that operation for well over a year and a half. Um, and it, it really created necessary uh, capacity. Um, the other thing that we did is we really advocated um, to remove uh, a variety of prior authorization um, controls that were in place uh, during COVID across the entire healthcare industry so people could get necessary treatment. Um, we, um, we made sure that our own members were vaccinated as, and we fought to get the vaccine. Again, you, if you remember, uh, it was hard to get vaccinations. Um, we led in conjunction with the then uh, Medicaid director, Daniel Tsai, um, an effort to vaccinate any individual that couldn't get to a mass vaccination site. So these are homebound folks and ended up working with um, across the entire Commonwealth with community agencies um, to actually be the ones that would administer the, the vaccination itself and document it. And we vaccinated over 5,000 people in small communities across the Commonwealth. And again, these were folks that they couldn't get to a mass vaccination site. It wasn't an option for them. So we, we coordinated that, that effort. Um, and it's, it's something that you know, we are incredibly proud of, all of this work. And we feel, again, as a, as a human service organization rooted in Massachusetts, this, this, is, this is our obligation to raise our hand and say, we have something to contribute. How can we help you, Commonwealth, and, and direct our efforts towards individuals that may not be our own customers, but are certainly people in need. You know, since the New England Council's focus is on federal policy and how it impacts a region's economy, 
we always like to wrap up these uh, conversations talking about what is going on in Washington, D.C. So we're just a, a few weeks into the 118th Congress. As this new session of Congress gets underway, what, have, what are some of the Commonwealth Cares Alliance top federal policy initiatives? No, it's, I appreciate the question, wrap up. We have three. Um, so first and foremost, um, integration of Medicare and Medicaid, so or what we call duels. Um, so we're really excited about right now the activity in Congress that's focused on integrated care for duly eligible individuals. Um, and I think for the first time in many years, there's significant activity here. Massachusetts has been a long pioneer in developing these programs that better integrate care for folks that are covered by both Medicare and Medicaid. And we were a, you know, we're founding company and partner of all these endeavors. And we hope that the, the bipartisan group of senators working on these issues will both look to our work in Massachusetts, um, uh, but also really be ready to roll out models across the country for those that need it most. Um, the second is Medicare Advantage oversight. So we're now at a time where nearly 50% of all Medicare beneficiaries are getting healthcare through a Medicare Advantage plan, like what CCA offers. We have Medicare Advantage plans for those, by the way, that are not low income in all four markets that I described. And we wanna make sure that, that, that seniors and the government, who's, who's really the, the steward of this, is getting the best po possible product at the best possible price. And we've developed our own model to serve folks both with higher needs, but also individuals that have, they have low income, but they're not eligible for Medicaid. And we wanna make sure that they have access to really good uh, health insurance. And we wanna make sure that the plans like us um, uh, are not um, in any way disadvantaging their consumers. So raising the bar for CCA will raise the bar um, for everyone. And we think that's, that's really, really important. Um, uh, and then lastly, um, just the focus on behavioral health. So we're very pleased to see action in Congress last year to expand um, access and coordination of behavioral health care, which includes people um, needing treatment with substance abuse disorders. About 70% of our own OneCare members have a behavioral health condition and efforts to improve uh, and access high quality integrated behavioral health care is so critical to supporting the health and well-being of our members. And we, we support obviously further action um, to ensure approved, approved access to mental health and substance abuse services across the country. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the yeoman's work done by Secretary Sutters and other in the Baker administration for their focus and ongoing efforts to address the behavioral health crisis here in Massachusetts. And we're excited about the role of the behavioral health map and community behavioral health centers that went live January 1st this year. So we look forward to continuing our partnership with several of these organizations to ensure that Medicaid enrollees have access to these critical services that they desperately need. Again, uh, Chris, thanks for taking the time to uh, join us today. More importantly, thank you for the important work that uh, you and everyone at CCA do to support the health of some of our most vulnerable members of our community. You've earned that you know, national reputation um, and recognition for its proven expertise in this complex care. Uh, kudos to you and all, all your co-workers. Uh, I've learned a lot and I hope everyone that tuned in today uh, did as well. Uh, the only thing I would add, you, you mentioned your brother being sort of the uh, the guardian light in your life. And you think of him every day when you talk 
about individuals and what their needs are. I begin every day and I carry every day a folder and my folder today has my brother and I'm reminded of him every day and how people with disabilities are treated. So your older brother, 15 years older than you as my brother was 15 years older. So um, he was my teacher and obviously he was your teacher as well. So I just wanna, again, thank you for all that you do and for everyone else, who is listening, I hope you will tune in next month when our guest will be Dr. Kevin Tubb, the CEO of Beth Israel Leahy Health. Hope everyone has a great day.